The I'm Fine podcast is produced by Lemoore Media LLC and is run by Project Headspace and Timing. Project Headspace and Timing is a 501c3 that I started in 2017 after a veteran that I was a medic to decided to pull over on the side of the road and end his life. As an organization, Project Headspace and Timing works on veteran advocacy and veteran outreach. What that means is through the advocacy uh, perspective, we try to connect veterans to other resources as early on into the process as possible. What that entails is early contact with veterans, forming a safety net with their family members, friends, and fellow service members, educating them on the resources, and when that veteran is ready to get help, we are there to make sure that they get the help that they need. The outreach aspect is put there to get veterans together to do productive and constructive things, whether it's out in nature, working with other businesses, anything to get them out around other veterans where those good conversations can happen if they want to have them. If you are interested in finding out more information about our organization, please visit projectheadspaceandtiming.org, our Facebook page, Project Headspace and Timing, or our Instagram, which is Project Headspace and Timing. And if you would like to donate to our organization, uh, please visit our website, projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Scroll to the bottom and you will find a link to our Venmo. If you'd like to send us a check, our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 382, Mantino, Illinois, 60950. And if you'd like to sponsor or have any other questions, feel free to reach out to me at Eric P. P's and Paul at projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Thank you. On today's episode of the I'm Fine podcast, Brad and I are going to talk about the relationship between racism and mental health. Um, we're going to share some of our personal experiences for a little bit, and then we're going to have our friend and um, president of the Kankakee branch of the NAACP, Theotis Pace, come on here to talk about what his opinions and experience, uh, experiences are. And we're going to also get into the KCCCRT, uh, which is the community response team in Kankakee County, and how that was put together to also deal with the mental health of groups of people in our community. Welcome to the I'm Fine Podcast with your freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional hosts, Eric Peterson and Brad Stozik. Solid. How are you feeling today, buddy? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Going on a vacation. Mini vacation. Oh, yeah. Where are you going? Uh, Wisconsin. Just going to head up a water park. And we were supposed to go see ice castles, but the weather's been so. not my old, yeah. <laughs> that they uh, they kind of just they're gonna be super depressing ice castles. Yeah, there's gonna be little puddles of like mush. Yeah, that's fine. I guess yeah. that's not yeah. too bad. Yeah, uh, but other than that, yeah. there's a when we were on our drive over here, you brought something up that I kind of wanted to briefly uh, talk about. You yeah. said that you know lately. You know, you made this huge change in your life. You've yeah. been doing really well. You've been implementing all these positive things, meditating, working out, stuff like that. And then you kind of felt like you hit a plateau. And yeah. you just told me that also, in addition to that, you're having these moments where you're like, ah, I miss my dad. Yeah. And you asked me if 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 I had those things. And I was just like, oh, my God, yeah, 100%, dude. Yeah. You know, how, how have you been doing with that? 
I don't know. Like, uh, you know, the person I've been working with and training with, he, you know, he's, he said the highs are really high and the lows are going to be really low. Right. And he is not even a little bit wrong. But it's, it's really just, important to understand yeah. that when you're making these, these changes in your life towards having a better state of mental health, initially, like with anything else, I feel like, and again, this is coming from a uh, unprofessional, right? But you have that honeymoon phase yeah. where it's new and dude, you lost, how much weight did you lose? Uh, last time I checked, I was down like 23 pounds. Bro, you lost 23 pounds, yeah. which is amazing. You made all these positive changes. And then, so like, it's all new, it's all bright, it's all shiny, it's all yeah. cool. And you were so happy about it. But at some point, the honeymoon phase kind of dies down, not because the accomplishments are diminished, but because I think because you're more accustomed, you're more uh, used to them. Yeah. Right. Yep. And and obviously when it comes to losing weight, you make those big changes early on. You can start to, you can knock some pounds off and then it gets a little harder as time goes on. That doesn't mean that what you've done isn't incredible. Thank you. Right. Yeah. And when it, when I told you, you know, now it's been um, four months. Yeah, four months since I've lost my mom. Dude, I have an emotional moment about my mother still multiple times a week. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's daily anymore. Hmm. And when I say that, I just mean, like I said in the car, I was like, dude, you know, I'll have these moments where I just I think about my mom. And all of a sudden, I just feel this emotion, like just kind of just my eyes like welling up. Mm-hmm. And again, I'll just say to myself, hey, if I want to cry, I'm going to fucking cry. Yep. I'm just going to I'm going to have this. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to I'm going to think about it. And and then I'm going to process it. And then I'm going to go on with my day. Yep. And I don't think that ever goes away. And that was one thing that everybody has told me about losing a parent is like it doesn't again, it doesn't get easier. No, you it's, learn how to deal with it. It's bro. crazy how fast time flies, too. Yeah. It's like what, February? Yeah, dude. Like three months away, and it's been a year yeah. since my dad. Like a, a year, yeah. just just like that. Yep. It's cr- like it, I don't even know. But again, you know that you've been doing incredible. Yeah, you've been doing such a fucking good job, man. Well, thank I'm you. Still as proud of you now as I was then. So just thank you. Keep it up, man. Thanks. Now, um, it's cool because I get to talk a little bit about my mom today. Um, yeah. just not in a super positive way, but you know that's fine. Uh, because we are going to talk about the. The relationship between uh, racism and mental health. So yeah. if anybody is, I don't know, watched the news once in the past few years, you've probably seen that there is for sure some sort of civil unrest, anxiety, frustration, anger, whatever, uh, that is like tied to events that were racist in nature. Some were racist in nature. Some look like they were but maybe maybe they weren't, you know what I mean? Yep. And I brought this up very early on in the podcast. You know, I had a breakthrough with my therapist, and this was like a while ago, obviously. And that breakthrough was I've always had a issue with attention. And like when people are paying attention to me, yeah. which is super weird. Cause I do all this nonprofit shit and I'm always out in public doing stuff. But like, it was to the point where I was like kind of self-medicating before I would be out in public because I just, I didn't know how to deal with it. And I had a lot of social anxiety. And what I'd realized with my therapist was that, um, when I was very, from a very young age, I was always targeted by bullies. And now we all, everybody has bullies and kids now have it way worse than, than I think I ever did. Um, but 
I was targeted by bullies and it was always the same thing. It was always because I looked different than everybody else. Right. It was always because I was Asian. And so I would always get made fun of for that thing, for being Asian. And so at some point in my life, I just associated attention with that negative feeling in my stomach. We're like, oh God, these people are thinking about me. What are they thinking? They're, they're, they're making jokes about me in their head or whatever, whatever. And it would just make me feel terrible. And, and that was kind of what had an effect on my social anxiety. And then from a perspective of my parents, like my dad is Caucasian. My mom is Asian, Asian. And uh, like my mom grew up cleaning her clothes in a river and like rubbing her knuckles against the the clothes uh, and rocks to get stains out where her her knuckles would bleed. Like she was just certified badass. And then she came here and she learned English when she was young. She worked very hard to learn English. When she came to the United States, the first moment I ever noticed and realized, I guess, what racism was um, is when I was... I think it was like 10 years old. And that's when I realized that there was really a difference because when I was really little, everybody got bullied. So while I was getting bullied and people were like, you know, making the Asian jokes or whatever, like it sucked, but I also saw everybody getting bullied. So that kind of took some of the sting out of it, I guess. Yeah. But I was in an airport. I remember this like it was yesterday. Granted, we've talked about it before as far as like nostalgia is concerned. You know, maybe I just made all of this shit <laughs> up in my head, but I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure I it, it, it happened. Um, I was in the airport with my mom and we were going to the Philippines cause she took me to the Philippines when I was little. It was the only trip we ever took over there together. And, um, it was a very impactful trip on me. But as we were heading there in the airport, my mom needed help with like directions to somewhere. Now my mom has uh, had a very heavy accent yeah. and, uh, but she spoke English, but she just, she had an accent. So she asked somebody at the airport, like where we we're going to go and some other questions. And the person got very mad at her. I uh, got very frustrated. Maybe she was very busy and I don't know what kind of day she had either, but she just told her that she needed to learn how to speak better English or get out of this country. And like, dude, as a kid, seeing that happen to your mom, yeah, like I saw red for the first time in my life. Like I was fucking furious. I was so mad that somebody could treat my mother like that. And that was the moment where it was kind of implanted in my head that some people aren't going to really are going to be mean to you just because of the way that you look. You know what I mean? And from that's one thing that I was so because my when I was young, I lived in a very diverse, diverse, diverse area in Kankakee. My area is still pretty diverse, but like growing up in Kankakee was great because of so many different cultures. It was a great transition into the military Yeah, because like what we talked about being in the military is, dude, you are with everybody. Yep, You are with every different race and in none of it matters. And I think that's because we're wearing the same uniform. Yeah. I, I don't, I like, I mean that superficially and also on a deeper level. Like it's just, we're all wearing the same uniform. We're wearing the same hat. We all have the same haircut. You know what I mean? We're just like, okay, we're all on the same team here. You know what I mean? And then it's, it's about worth from that point on. Mm -hmm. You have to prove yourself. You have to do your job. And if you do those things, doesn't matter what color you are, man. Like we all kind of get along here and everybody would mess with each other equally. Oh yeah. Like everybody could take it and dish it right back. When I was in Afghanistan, dude, 
uh, my first tour, uh, my squad was like the United Nations. It was me, <laughs> a black dude, a Puerto Rican dude, another Filipino guy, a couple of white guys. And we are jokes that we would use to rag on each other. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. And nobody, we didn't care because none of them were hurtful. And I think none of them were hurtful because we all also knew that we were willing to die for each other. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. What was your experience like as a white man? As a white man. Mm-hmm. Like in the military or yeah. just in? Uh, in general. So I had a job in the military that was primarily, you know, Hispanic and African-American. And, mm-hmm. and it was, dude, it was great. Like like you said, we would joke around. Um, but I never really experienced different races. Like, you know, I grew up in Mantino. Yeah. You know, white as white can be. You know what I'm saying? And I, I never really experienced other races or any... Yeah, really anything like that until I joined the military, which was, I you know, eye opening, great. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And like I said, it was some of my best friends, dude. Like it didn't matter, it didn't didn't matter. Well, I also now I'm dating myself, but excuse me, I know I'm dating myself here, but I refer to my life as a reverse version of the Julius Stiles uh, classic, Save the Last Dance. <laughs> In that, because in in Save the Last Dance, you have a a white girl who moves from an affluent place to a culturally diverse place. And then, like, it's one of those, like, we can save the people by dance type of movies or whatever. And uh, I was kind of the opposite in that I was like a chubby Asian kid in a super culturally diverse area. And then I moved to Hersher, which was pretty, not affluent, but it was pretty... uh, it was, it was dominant, like white was dominant out oh, there. Oh, yeah. And there were a few people of color. Uh, there was two other Asian guys, and uh, they were brothers. And then, like I've said before on this podcast, everybody thought that, well, not everybody, but some of the people thought that I was their <laughs> other brother. Right. So I was the other Asian kid out there. So I, it was kind of like a reverse save the last dance. And I can't dance. Oh, so I mean, man. So it, but I was so thankful that I got to be brought up in that uh type of environment just because i didn't know anything was really really a problem until adults kind of made me understand that it was so now when as a white as a white man do you feel like it's super hard to even approach these topics like today we're gonna have Theodos Pace on, and you'd ask me before this podcast, yeah. you're like, dude, I don't want to say something, and it sounds like it's coming from a bad place. And, yeah. I, and I was like, as long as you're open about that, and you're like, I don't know how else to ask this question, but I want to know something. Yeah. How do you feel when it comes to dealing with the topic of race? How do you feel about it? Do you get anxious? Um, sometimes, you know, because I feel like I, like I said, I don't have, I, I, I don't think I can comment on on it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like I, I guess, have the authority, if you will. You know what I mean? It, it, but you're definitely allowed to have your opinions, right? right? I think it comes from a place of you want to make sure that you're not hurting someone else's feelings. Absolutely. You're not, com- like, you don't want to come off as, like, you are racist or something. You're just, you, but you have questions that you want to ask, right? Right, yeah. Like, I'm genuinely, like, yeah, I have genuine questions. Yeah. Because you know, I, I don't know. I, right. I have no idea. I have no idea what it's like to, to go out in public and be constantly watched or something or to to experience like you said to be called you know made fun of because i look different or right. I, i've never experienced that the only right. the far extent i have that is like you know, i was a little chubby when i was younger yeah 
I'm still chubby to this day, but I mean, ah, you know, you know, twenty three I mean? pounds less chubbier. Yeah, <laughs> but I like I've never really had that experience. So for me, when it comes to things like that, it, it, it's better to have some experience in it to have a little bit of instead of going in totally blind. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like at least every episode you got to make one pun. I should one sprinkle, joke. A, sprinkle in a blind joke. I yeah. love it. I think they're the best. Um, yeah, no, and it was one thing that I always kind of hid from for a long time was like really embracing uh, the Asian side because where I was brought up because I was always made fun of it, uh, fun of for it. Um, I kind of shied away from it. Like yeah. my mom tried to teach me Tagalog, which is the main dialect of Filipino that she spoke. And I didn't want to learn it. I didn't want to do any of the Asian type things. Like I always try to distance myself from it. And I kind of understand why now, because I also associated it with those negative feelings, yeah. right? Which sucks because yeah. I really wish, especially when my mom was around, that I could have been more involved in that. Mm -hmm. And going to the Philippines and doing things like that like impacted me for life for sure. But yeah, I mean, and so we looked up uh, some articles too about uh, the relationship between mental health and racism. And you found a couple, did you not? I did yeah. find quite a, yeah, I found a couple. Um, what did you find? Um, oh, what did I find? Can I, I'm going to bring those up real quick. Sorry. No, no, no. Oh, I don't have internet. Um, so I found that the different types of racism, right? Yeah. Like, I didn't even realize there was that many different... Um, I don't have the article. I'm so sorry. No, don't. Be um, but the one that really, really stood out to me and kind of... It was called... And they put it in quotations. It's called reverse racism. Yeah. Where... Basically, white people are like, oh, well, I'm not, like, I'm not racist. Like, you guys are being racist because, but in order to, throughout history, you know, of America, white people mainly held power. Yeah. And in order to experience racism, you have to be in a position where you don't hold power. Right. So I feel like white people are just like, oh, yeah, you guys are being racist to make themselves feel better. And the thing for me, like, it, we're all, like I was telling you earlier this morning, it's a melting pot nation, dude. You're supposed to embrace your culture, embrace where you're from. Even white people. This isn't our, we didn't come, you know what I'm saying? We weren't Even born here. It, white people. It just, it's, I don't know. No, I agree with what you're saying. And I also think it's really frustrating from the position of somebody that is white to have to deal with this kind of stuff if you are very... Uh, welcoming and you are very supportive of everything and you are also getting pulled into the conversation of the things that white people in the past have done because now that brings this guilt aspect to your life that you know you had nothing to do with it right. but it's a general statement about white people so you're like oh man okay so now they're talking about so yeah I can see how that starts to harbor those feelings of a white person wanting to talk about reverse racism yeah. because they're being made to feel bad about something that they're trying to actively fight against. Yeah. And so it's really difficult. I think it's insanely complicated. But one one article that I found uh, that was just kind of funny for me. So it's called Racism. Uh, oh, sorry. It's a uh, research paper. And this is titled Racism as a Determinant of Health. A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. This was done in 2015. Uh, just reading from the abstract, um, what made me kind of laugh about this. So in this study that was done, 
Uh, Data from 293 studies reported in 333 articles published between 1983 and 2013 and conducted predominantly in the United States were uh, analyzed using random effect models and mean weighted effect sizes. Racism was associated with poor mental health including depression, anxiety, psychological stress, and various other outcomes. Racism was also associated with poor general health and poor physical health. Uh, Moderation effects were found for some outcomes with regard to study and exposure characteristics. So, yeah, man, I mean, uh, didn't feel like that was going to be a huge surprise to anybody. The people that are super racist aren't doing great up here, not doing great. Down here, just <laughs> in general, not doing great. Like, yeah, no sh- I feel like as a collective, it's just like, oh, no way. Yeah, right. know that. Like, <laughs> I've never met a super racist person be like, man, he seems pretty cool. Like, I want to go grab a beer with that guy. It's right. Like, what the fuck is wrong with this dude? So, yeah, yeah uh, totally understood that. That didn't uh, sound, sound too crazy to me. But, um, yeah, so the other part, too, of race and like mental health and just being completely oblivious to things. So like I've only been in interracial relationships my entire life. It's something I've never thought about before. Yeah. And somebody asked my wife, I can't remember if we'd just been married, but it was like half what we've been together for a while. So it was like years into a relationship. And someone asked my wife what it was like being in an interracial relationship. Cause my mom, cause, uh, cause uh, my wife is white. Yeah. And my mom and dad are different races, so they're in an interracial relationship. And my wife was just like, I don't know, because I never really thought about it before. (laughs) Like, we fell in love, and we were together, and the race stuff didn't really matter. And I was like... I was like in my late 20s, early 30s when I realized, oh my God, I've only been in interracial relationships my entire life. And it never really bothered me. It never bothered me. And the only thing that bothers me now is I feel like in every single commercial that I see, it's every single couple is an interracial couple, which is great and beautiful, right. but also coming from somebody in an interracial relationship, I'm like, we got it. We got it. We can love each other. <laughs> we we, yeah. we understand. Like every single couple is interracial, which is fine. But um, no, so... Today, um, I wanted to have Theotis Pace on, uh, and I'm pretty excited to hear some of the things that he has to say. Oh, He's got a lot of information. He's got a lot of knowledge. He's been around the block uh, quite a few times, and he is the uh, president of the Kankakee branch of the NAACP. So I am actually on a subcommittee of the NAACP called the K-triple-C-R-T-K-C-C-C-R-T, which is the Kankakee County Community Crisis Response Team. Um, I was asked to be a part of it through a good friend of mine, Karen Smetansky, who is the uh, assistant superintendent over the Kankakee County Veterans Assistance Commission. And they wanted me to be a part of this group for two different reasons. One, because I'm Asian, and two, because I'm a veteran. And so I was putting this group of people from all different walks of life together to be able to deal with civil unrest should that opportunity arise or should that situation arise. Now, the groups of people are from all over and they work with local law enforcement and everything, which is great. I want Theotis to talk a little bit about it, so I'm not going to talk too much more about it. But one thing I will say is, so we work with the KCCRT, we work with the police departments, right? Yep. 
And so we had this, they have these like routine classes that you can take. And if you're out there listening, I strongly suggest you list or you, you try to sign up for one, but it's a, like a one day course. I'm almost, yeah, it's a one day course and it's taught by uh, the sheriff's department, the county, the county sheriff, and they come out and they go through what it's like to be a police officer. And you go through a lot of different scenarios. You see scenarios where the police were wrong. Right. You see the scenarios where the police weren't wrong. And you see the scenarios where in the media they take a clip of something and they slow it down to like frame by frame by frame. And then they tell you how you should have acted because we're all John Wick and we can make a decision like that. Now, as somebody that has checked people, checked vehicles for bombs, like all that other kind of stuff, I understand a little bit about what it feels like to be in a situation like that and how crazy it can be and how fast everything can be. But working with the NAACP on this initiative and being able to go to that class was so beneficial just to be able to learn all that kind of stuff. And there was one part of the class, which is my favorite part of the class, which is the simulator. Okay. I think I might've mentioned this before. I know I've talked to you about this before, (laughs) but so in the simulator training, you go through all of these different scenarios that a police officer would go through and you get a gun, a plastic one, and and I forget what they called it in the military. We had the same thing in the military. We're like with a laser system and you were in the Connex or whatever and you get to still like shoot targets and stuff, but it was like laser. Like you, the BZO type stuff? I think that's it. Yeah. That sounds yep. familiar. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was something similar to that. So you have all these uh, that attended this class. There was a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. There's people that supported the police, people that don't support the police. Yeah. But everybody was together for the same reason, which was to learn, which was awesome. And so I'm watching these people get up there, and you can see that there's p- these people who have never handled a gun before, never handled any, any sort of firearm. And they get up there, and uh, some of the ones that were most vocal at the very beginning of the class, being pro, against, whatever. Yeah. Dude, they either killed a civilian, oh, they boy. like it, they missed the person completely, or they got killed. Like that happened a bunch. So I volunteered to go first. I was like, hell yeah, I want to get up there. I want to see, like, let's see how I do. And so I got up there, and I did good. My only, the only issue I had with the uh, the instructor ding me on was, so it was a traffic stop. Guy gets out of the car, he's talking to me, he's yelling, his hands are hidden, and so I have my weapon drawn, and the first thing I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to yell things to him. I can't just, like, sit there. Like, I have to interact with this guy to try to see what's going on. So as I start to interact, he pulls out the gun, and he and he puts it on me, and I immediately start firing, right? Infantry background. So I hit him in the chest, and he starts to fall, and as he starts to fall, the handgun comes out of his hand. Right. And now what I was told by the instructor is that as an officer, once that threat is eliminated, once the gun is out of their hand, you have to stop firing. But what I did (laughs) was as he was fought, like I hit him because then they show you where all your rounds were. Yeah. And let me just tell you. Let me just brag a little bit. My shot group, nice, super tight. My <laughs> shot group was super tight. I hit him when he was up, and then when the handgun was out of his hand, I shot him like five more times. Sure, yeah. As he was falling down, infantry dude, we're just gonna. 
throw rounds downrange. I mean, I'm just throwing them downrange. And like I hit him. So he dropped the weapon. I hit him three more times. And then he hit the ground. And I hit him like two more times. <laughs> and the instructor was like, you like that was a little excessive. But the thing is, is dude, that happened so fast. Yeah. From him standing to falling down was what, two, maybe two seconds? And again, even in that simulator training, man, my adrenaline's running. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, and that's why I just, boom, 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 boom. Like, muscle memory took over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which was, but to be able to have opportunities to take classes like that is really cool. It was a yep. free class. So when uh, Theotis comes on and we talk about the K Triple C R T, I definitely want you to listen when he talks at the very end about uh, how you guys can get involved. But um, yeah, and then so other than that, man, are you going to ask Theotis some questions? Are you going to feel, feel comfortable? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's just interesting yeah. to hear your perspective on it too, because like you're just, I know you, yeah, and I know how considerate of a person you are, and so it's just like you, again, you deserve to have your opinions too, but you don't even feel like you can ask those things because you're afraid that you don't want to be ostracized or you don't want to be mista- mistaken as being a certain way. It's not so much afraid. Like I yeah. said earlier, it's just like, I don't have that experience. I don't right. know. Like the, the clo- I mean, and this is not even comparable. I'm not trying to compare it at all, but like having a disability, that's as close as, I, not that like, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. people judge and that's as close and it's not even but I can that tell similar. You, I think it is a good place to draw parallels from because it's something that affects you all the time. Yeah. It's something that affects you when you go out and it's something that affects you so much to the point that a year ago it put you in a bad spot Yeah, where you didn't even feel like you go outside because you would be judged. So yeah, dude, I think there are some parallels there where you have some, uh, some ground to stand on. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, with that, when we get back, come back, we will uh, have our friend Theodis with us. So we are here now today with Theotis Pace. Theotis is the president of the Kankakee branch of the NAACP. He's a community leader, advocate, coach of football, track, baseball. Uh, and as Brad said right before we started recording, the man, the myth, and the legend, Theotis, thank you very much for being on here with us today. Really appreciate hey, hey, it. Brad, Eric, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm looking forward to the questions and yeah. uh, the engagement here that we can interact and uh, let our community know of the work of, that uh, we're doing in this community to improve the quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with the NAACP, how long have you been a part of it? Probably uh, over 45, 50 years. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, I grew up in Columbus, Georgia. My father is from Tuskegee, Alabama. So, my mother's from Montgomery, Alabama. So with those two cities, uh, was part of the civil rights movement, right. Montgomery. Um, my mother uh, grew up not far from Dexter Avenue Baptist Church where Dr. King preached. Oh, wow. My dad is from Tuskegee. So what do we know? I mean, so you got the Tuskegee experiment there. And um, my my youngest daughter uh, actually graduated uh, from Tuskegee Institute at the time. So Columbus, Georgia, Tuskegee, Alabama, Montgomery, it was it was known regarding the civil rights movement. And um, it was something that you automatic did uh, by just being a member of your respective church. You joined the NACP as a youth. Right. Yeah. Well, and 
What was it like? When did you come to Kankakee? I arrived here in 1973. And how long have you been the president of the Kankakee chapter? Uh, I would say since 70, since 97. Okay. Uh, 80, somewhere. I mean, yeah, 97, somewhere around there. I'm about 20 plus years now. And now we've talked a few times about this, but one of the stories that you shared with me that I thought was a really interesting one from my perspective was about how, as a member of the NAACP in the early years, it kind of had to be done in secrecy, you were saying, right? Could Absolutely. you kind of elaborate on what that was like during those times? Well, if you if you go back and see um, the state of Alabama uh, uh, versus the NACP, uh, the state of Alabama actually tried to seek uh, uh, with a lawsuit to get the membership list of, of those individuals that lived in Alabama <clears throat> to see who those were, who were the members. Quite naturally, uh, that suit was defeated. But uh, back in early uh, segregation, uh, uh, the, to be a member of the NACP was something that most people you do not want to know because the clans was viable uh, during those period of times. So, uh, if Eric, if you was the principal of you know one of the uh, segregated black schools, well then uh, you know the powers that be might take the position away from you. Right. The mailman, if he's delivering the membership card, would know you know who the members of the NACP. Unlike parallel of the Klan. Right. You know, so, but myself, uh, when people talk about the civil rights movement, I seen the cornheads. I mean, I, I could be out playing touch football on a Friday uh, evening and they're uh, going, you know, crossing the, the Muscogee River or the Chalucha River that uh, separates uh, the state of Georgia and Alabama, you know? And, and so I, I can recall every, anything about segregation. I can recall the separate water fountains, colored black, right. uh, the golf course, you know, you could go caddy, but you couldn't play there. Right. Uh, but, you know, when I look back, it was enhancing to me and my peers. Right. Because, Everyone in my uh, environment looked like me, from yeah. the custodian at the school to the cooks to the principal to the teachers. So uh, Mr. Iggins, Mr. Jackson, Ms. Nesbitt maybe went to Alabama State, uh, Tuskegee, Savannah. So at a, you know, you five, six, seven, eight years old, they're already talking to you about how you advance yourself in an educational uh, setting. Now it's almost in reverse. Because it's trades, um, and you don't necessarily need that four-year degree. But, you know, in the early 60s, you know, middle 70s and things like that, we've been promoted. You need that four-year institute uh, to get that degree, to right. be the teacher and all that. Now, you know, electrician, plumber, you know, all of those kind of things. So the setting is still there. However, uh, are we, Are we? have we, uh, I guess, if we want to say, are we George, Je uh, Je what's his name? George Jefferson. Yet. Jefferson. Yeah. Have we made it? Yeah. I don't know. No, we haven't, we haven't moved up yet. Still, uh, I mean, uh, way to go. and, and we, you know, when you look at it, um, 
the previous administration didn't did not help this nation as a whole regarding race relation or building that bridge. And I know later on, you and I are going to talk about a Kankakee County uh, crisis response team. Oh, yeah. And some of the other work that we're doing, we're going to talk about, you know, mental health, all yeah. of those aspects. So it, when you when you really look at the NACP, <clears throat> even with our meeting last night, I maintain that the Kankakee County branch of the NACP is the most diverse organization in this county. And what I'm saying is, is that uh, there's that myth about the NACP is a, a black organization. Yeah. As we just stated again, this coming Sunday, February the 12th, this organization will be 114 years old. So wow. if you go back to that setting of February the 12th, 1909, who was in that room? And majority of the people in that room does not did not look like me. The majority yeah. was was totally opposite. But most individuals fail to realize what was the outgrowth of the NACP, the birth. It started in 1908 in where? The, the land of the great emancipator, the city, Springfield, Illinois. Was it W.E.B. Dubois? No, no. Nah, no? Abe Lincoln. Springfield, but it was a race ride in right. Springfield, Illinois in 1909. That was the outgrowth from 1909 to February the 12th, 1908 with the uh, uh, race ride with the birth of the NACP, February 1909. Okay. All right. The lynching and what, you know, what happened in Springfield. And so we having um, a state convention they're having the the race ride uh, monument in in Springfield, so you know most people don't really understand that you know if and then it's Black History Month. So how do you educate people? Look at the plight uh, from um, Black Wall Street, yep. uh, Rosewood. Those of was viable uh, Black communities, and all it took was one lie. One, that's all. And right. they destroyed both of these uh, 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 institutions and cities, if you want to say that, yeah. because of, you know, a white woman declared that some black man, Emmett Till. I mean, yep. so you can look at the struggle uh, that blacks have had over the last hundred and some years. And guess what? We still stand. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that you'd mentioned that I wanted to talk about was. You you brought up how the Kankakee branch of the NAACP is one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse group in Kankakee County. And like you said, we're going to get to it in a little bit. I'm I'm honored to be a part of a subcommittee of the Absolutely. NAACP. But one of the things that I noticed when I attended those meetings was exactly what you said. I was like, there is a little bit of everybody here. Like there's every different color, every different everything. And when you talk about how a lot of people – uh, thought for the longest time that the NAACP was strictly a black organization. I was one of those people for a long time. I just I just assumed that. And then when I actually became a member and I met you and I met Donna, mm-hmm. Rhonda, all these other people, I it it really started to hit me that uh, it was such a diverse group. And then to to see the work that you guys do with local law enforcement and everything, what took me back, and which is why I said to you that one day. 
that I wanted to talk to you about being a member was because it seems like you guys just take the most common sense approach to stuff. For example, the one thing that you said in the first meeting I was in that was what got me involved was you said that you gave the example, and this might have been a real world example, but you just mentioned that, you know, if a police department in our area hires X amount of new police officers and no, and they're all white and none of them are black. And there is a little bit of a civil unrest because people are like, well, why aren't they hiring black police officers? Well, what you would do is you go to the police department and just say, can I see the list of applicants? How many black, Hispanic, Asian, how many other uh, people of color applicants were there? And if there weren't any, well, then you're like, okay, well, then that's why there is not a reason to be angry in this situation because of that. And you gave that example. I'm like, that's such a common sense approach to that. And I didn't understand that the NAACP was really kind of bridging the gaps by doing mm-hmm. things like that. Right mm-hmm. now. Uh, and Brad, you had a question. What was your question? Uh, my, my, I was just wondering, curious. Um, so this is a mental health podcast. How has racism affected your mental health personally on a, on a personal level? My mental health? Yep. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I try to be me, right. meaning that um, health is wealth. Yep. Uh, I'm, re- I'm a retiree, and I, I have the opportunity, to, unlike most people, to have good insurance. Um, and um, I believe in self-care. And, and so mental health is that you, 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 you put yourself in a position, at least I, not to be stressed, even though that's, that's, uh, that's something that is hard to do, to deal with it. But as a individual in my family, I've seen mental health. And, 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 and so here in Kankakee, you know, we have a referendum on, you know, with, uh, um, uh, regarding mental health, trying to fund it because there's a, there's a lack of mental health. And so myself, uh, I use myself as a vehicle to educate, inform other individuals of the resources that prevail to assist those individuals that need assistance regarding mental health. So I use, if, I, if to answer your question, it's me to help others. And I always felt, and I've, I talked about this earlier uh, before you came on, from my perspective as, a, as an Asian American, right? Okay. I grew up. In Kankakee. I, I went to Thomas Edison, uh, oh. I, a very diverse, very diverse area. Huh. And one of the things. over on uh, Maple Street. Yep. Right? Yeah. And I lived down the street from there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, I lived and breathed being in this incredibly rich, diverse cultural environment. And what I saw from my perspective was that uh, I was equally bullied by white kids and black kids. So it was kind of nice because it was like, you guys can agree on one thing and that was bullying Eric, Peter, Eric Peterson. But I would get picked on because of my race. Mm-hmm. And what that caused for me later in life, and I didn't realize it until recently, was that it, it actually caused anxiety for me because I was always uh, highlighted and given attention, but it was always in a negative way because it was like, oh, you're different. You look different. And so it caused anxiety for me as I grew up. Do you feel like when it comes to your position, you are watching racism happen in all different ways, types and forms, and it's affecting the mental health of others? What are you seeing and how are you seeing it affect the mental health of the black community? Well, uh, uh, here here again, uh, it's, it's a lack of knowledge. Yep. 
like a resource is that the black community, those individuals who might need that assistance regarding mental health, they're not they're not aware of all the necessary resources. Mm -hmm. And our federal government, state government has not uh, fund, uh, provide enough funding to meet the needs to provide the necessary resources. Now, but I want to go back to uh, what you just said regarding your anxiety and being attacked by the white kids and the black kids. Unlike that, I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm looking at being on the school bus. Yeah. And um, um, we, we just boarded the bus and we have to go through a white community to get to our school. And back then, I'm looking at, I would have to pass Dogwood Elementary, which was a white elementary school. St. Mary's Elementary School was white. So here we are black, and I'm talking about Dogwood was somewhat in walking distance. And you're getting called the N-word. Oh my you're God. getting, you know, the, the finger, you're yep. getting everything. And we're just looking. Right. Because you, you, here, here's the uh, support that we got. Because once I got to Fifth Avenue or um, Dawson Drive, okay, Forge Road Elementary, those are the three elementary schools I went to. Um, it was that support group that looked like me. Yeah. And they're promoting, uh, elevating your thoughts of, of education and at the same time you being taught about your history. Right. And every day you being reinforced right. because the people there understand the plight and you're not defeated. And and it's a, during a time where you are so moldable as yeah. a child, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where you get the, hit with this negativity that's outside of your control. So what are you supposed to do? You need that person that's going to be that positive. It, it was so crazy. Yeah. And you, let's take downtown Kankakee, the yep. center of town, Court Street and Schuyler. Mm -hmm. Eric, where I grew up, any direction, three to four blocks, east, west, north, or south, everything was black owned. Wow. The YMCA, yeah. the barbershop, uh, the cab company, any in Columbus, Georgia, 5th and 8th, everything, the restaurants. So uh, the uh, ice cream shop, you know, so you knew there was that separation. But guess what? You didn't you wasn't thinking. Right. So if I went to Hamilton Park, which is now uh, Callaway Garden, we could I could look across the fence from Hamilton Park all over into Callaway Garden. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And guess what? We got a, we got the swimming pool. We got the big swimming pool. We got the little little one. And then you look across, and basically they have the same. The only thing is it's just black and white. Right. Okay? And so in our mindsets, I'm probably getting just more education than the white kid that was across the fence or the same kid that's calling me the N-word on my way to school. Right. You know, because back then, um, that was corporate punishment. Yeah. And let, let's get into church and state here for a minute. Yep. Guess what else was in school? The Bible. Right. Religion right. was in the school. Yeah. Okay. So you you pledged allegiance to the flag, but there was there was also religion there. Right. Okay. And the the teacher, I'm I'm just naming Miss Nesbitt. Man, I still remember these people, third, fourth grade. Yeah. Okay. And all they had to do is say, "I'm gonna call your dad." Better yet, you are gonna get the paddle. 
Right. Okay. And yeah. and the parents is not going to run up to the school in your defense. Nope. All right. Unlike now, society, uh, corporate punishment is out. Right. Uh, let's get politics. We got Senate Bill 100, which means you can't suspend, expel a kid. You know, so are of all the law uh, laws that's being passed, are they good? Right. Are they meeting to need? Uh, let's let's take the the safety act. I mean, I might be getting all over the place here. No, but no, no. <laughs> look at this. The safety act about law enforcement. It's about police reform. Mm-hmm. But is every bit of the bill good for society? Right. Jim Rowe, our state's attorney, right. and others said no. Right. Okay. Right. So we're looking at it, and the NACP also uh, uh, across the state is saying we need to revisit. The Safety Act, which is Senate Bill 3653. Right, right. Okay, so we're talking about cash bail, all of these things. So, again, does it make our cities, our counties, the state safe? Yeah. Okay, education. Um, you know, they say, you know, it's a lack of teachers. I mean, it's it's um, being a branch president tonight, uh, today, tonight, tomorrow— and being the vice president of the Illinois State Conference of Branches, which is that's 42 branches. So I'm the, I'm the vice president. So I oversee the other branches with our president, uh, President Teresa Haley. Mm-hmm. So guess what? Our plate is full. Right. Um, we just had a, a lawsuit. Ben Crump just came to Springfield. We had a big um, news conference down there. A young man died because EMTs come in. They put him face down on the gurney. Yep. Guy, he died. Right. You know, um, strangulation. Right. Uh, and so uh, let's take, uh, so let's look at Memphis. Right. I, I got yeah. a phone call um, uh, at the office the other day regarding, so what are we going to do uh, about March and, and uh, what happened in Memphis? Well, guess what? What happened in Memphis is a total separate uh, situation, I see, right. than here in Kankakee, because guess what? We've been meeting since Ferguson, Missouri, yeah. to ensure what's happening in Ferguson, Cleveland, New York, Memphis doesn't happen here. And you're right. a part of that solution, right. the Kankakee County Response right. Team. So right. we, we have, you know, sometimes, uh, and I'm just using this as a youth football coach. The people north of I-80 and even around I-80, and then you thinking, you say Kankakee, they automatically think we some country bumpkins. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I just tell my football team, let's just go kick some butt. Yep. And we come on back home. If they, uh, if they come down here this, and send them back home because they think in cornfields. Uh, you know, yeah. it's almost a whole different world south of 80. Yes. You know, no different than most people in the state of Illinois. There's uh, Chicago and everybody and, else. And everybody else. <laughs> yep. yep. You know, okay. Yep. And and so here, uh, in, our next, in our next meeting, uh, law enforcement meeting, which is around uh, March 14th to 21st, we'll, we have other branches from across the state to come here to try to emulate to see what we are doing. Wow. Okay. So we got people want to know, okay, so how do you get 40 to 50 people to formulate the Kankakee Community Crisis Response Team? Mm-hmm. The training that that we are, uh, our members are, are, are given. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That's unlike anything that's happened around us or in the, in the state. Now, 
really, I sort of got the idea from the riot and the situation in Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. when they had a, a series and a number of pastors and other community leaders that, you know, formed a, a line to keep the rioters from, you know, all, law enforcement and some other things. I'm saying, oh, man. So they were sort of, that's where the idea sort of somewhat surfaced of a response team. But, uh, but Fergus, Missouri, we're saying, okay, what happened in our county that could dispel one or enhance um, any civil unrest? Mm-hmm. You got to have a group of people to respond to it. Right. All right. So the, the, the thought was an outgrowth of Ferguson and with the Bears camp. Look, can you imagine the thousands of people when the Bears was here for yeah. their summer camp? the diverse population, and something jump off, yeah, it's yeah. going to be totally national news. Yeah. yeah. So what if? And so now we have, we have put ourselves, and you remember, mm-hmm. what if it happened? We can address it, and we can respond. There's, we have, I have a meeting at noon today. Donna and myself, we're meeting with some of our sheriff personnel to continue to enhance, think, you know, think things through. Do we need... Um, uh, uh, a mobile where we actually stage ourselves to address any civil unrest. Right. That's going to be a discussion at noon today. So it's it's you. So going back to Brad, my mental health. Uh, <laughs> hey, so you just you just Tired. have to you have to be calm. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you just you, the body tells you that you need the rest. Yes. Yeah. Completely agreed. And with that, and I would like to know what you think attributes, uh, without getting too much into the the, the KCCCRT, um, because we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the success of being able to get a group of people from such diverse uh, backgrounds together to be a part of something. Because when I attended these meetings, like I said, I saw every every creed race of, of people there uh i you know men of the cloth uh police officers oh, yeah. and everybody's on the same page so you're saying that other branches of the naacp are, are coming here to kind of see what you were able to do here do you attribute that to the just overall uh ability of the kankakee community uh residents saying we're all on the same page here. We understand that each one of these situations that we see that causes civil unrest can be v- extremely different, and we need to look at them all case by case and be together. Like, what? Where do you think the success from that comes from? Real quick, Eric. Yeah, um, I went to Lane College in Jackson, Tennessee, and one of our mottos was was uh, was to be not to seem, meaning that you know what you are. You don't have to advertise the things that you do because you know within yourself what it, what is happening. But arriving in Kankakee in 1973, I was a member of the uh, Kiwanis. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the different organizations, the JCs. Yep. So the outgrowth, particularly the JCs, uh, the Kiwanis are more like white collar, but the JCs are more blue collar members, right? Mm-hmm. So... I had the opportunity to establish relationships. And that is the thing that um, I would think most of our branch presidents and other members throughout the state, do they have a relationship with the, the, the county school superintendent? Yeah. Can they pick up the phone and call their local uh, school superintendents? Okay. Yeah. Do, they, do they know their sheriff? 
do they have a relationship with the with their respective police chiefs? Mm-hmm. Okay, we have that. Right. We we have that. So oh, yeah. can can you think Sheriff Downey and I going to always agree? Hell no. Right. But guess what? The relationship is there where we can mediate a yes. disagreement. Yes. Okay. And we get phone calls all the time. However, but let me let me tell you real quick. On the other side of that, yeah. There's individuals that maybe totally disagree with Brad's methods. Mm-hmm. Brad say, I like to do things in closed doors mm-hmm. and settle the problem. But the Yodas are saying, well, man, I don't like I don't like uh what uh Brad technique is. Yeah. I want everything out front. Uh, I want rioting. I want marching. Okay. But can you I can just pick up the phone and call the mayor of a city. So I need to meet with one or two of you and your trustees or in the city of Kankakee, your council members, mm-hmm. the police chief. And we can sit down there and try to mediate. And I'm saying I just had a phone call. It was on Tuesday. Yeah. About a 40 minute conversation about the marching and uh, here in Kankakee, particularly regarding George Floyd. Mm-hmm. OK, so we marched. The NACP we had. Thousands of people, we held a uh, drive-in. I don't know if you recall, we had a yep, drive-in yep. march mm-hmm. at the fairground. Yep. Thousands of people, okay? Jim Rowe, some of our members, the sheriff, uh, other millennium spoke regarding their thoughts of, of George Floyd and what was happening across this nation. Right. All right, but what did... Some of the other people that's not tied to the way we do things and the way they did because they marched every weekend. And so once all this was over, my question is, Brad, your technique, what did you accomplish? Right. Yeah. yeah. You, okay. What did you accomplish? However, we had all of the powers that be where we can sit down and say, well, a George Floyd is not going to ha- happen here. Right. Are your officers being trained? Mm-hmm. And I I mean, one of the most powerful things I had was just uh, a couple of weeks ago. Matter of fact, January 18th, I attended a meeting of the Eastern Illinois Police Chief Association. Mm-hmm. And so guess what, Eric? That's what we're doing. You as a member of the response team, you basically are being trained and looked at how from a vision of how law enforcement, particular officers, immediately, what yes. they, what we figure out, three to five seconds? Yeah. They have to make almost a decision yep. on, on things. So guess what? We, by doing that, we have an idea of what officers are facing. Then, not only that, our members, uh, which, which came out of our last month's meeting, uh, we're going to Mantino. We're going to go to Grant Park. You're going to go to St. Anne, uh, Kankakee, Bradley, Bourbon A, and our members is going to be at each shift Yep. where they can meet the, each officer yep. and get a face, okay? Is that not billing and, and that 10 shared principles? The state of Illinois, the NACP, have a resolution of a 10 shared, 10 shared principles with each municipality in this county, where Brad is a police officer, he go his he works six to two, 
That's his shift. So when he gets up and leave at 5 a.m. in the morning, guess what? His wife wants him to return home, right? Right. At 2.30. Right. All right. So let's, we have to look at things from a broad perspective in today's society. How are we going to improve police reform? And and I don't think I, you know, and those are black officers in Memphis. Right. So, uh, so, so we jumped off there. Right. So here in Mayberry, if we want to call it that, a little small rural <laughs> yeah. area right. uh, south of I-80. Yep. But guess what? We could be Mayberry and it didn't carry a gun. Yeah. Okay. Right. But he solved a lot of crime. Yep. All right. And so here we got the mechanism to be Andy to ensure things doesn't happen here because guess what? What did Andy have? He had a relationship with everybody in Mayberry. Yes. That's true. You know, and and, yeah. and guess what? His thorn was Barney. Barney, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Barney fight. Okay. Yeah. So guess what? We're we're putting things in place to prevent a Barney and be Andy. Yeah. To a, that's a oh man, that that's a big a, a hell of an analogy. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. thinking about it. Right. But look, I mean, think about it. You you have attended the meetings, yep. Ten shared principles. So I can pick up the phone and, and call Chief Barber and 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 Bradley. Yeah. And say, and then they'll call us at Theodos, you you need to come and watch this video of a traffic stop. All right. And we might have three or four other members to go. We yeah. don't go, we don't go at the same time. We go different times. Yeah. Because everybody gonna have a totally different opinion. Yeah. What did you see? Yeah. Well, hey, I think the officer. Followed the, uh, his, his training to the T. Okay? So, I mean, it's it's a lot. Being a president and be mindful, you you still have your naysayers. Oh, yeah. Okay? Is the NACP still relevant? What does it mean? Well, again, I don't like Pace's approach to things. But guess what? I can kick just as much ass yep. being aggressive Damn right. if I want to. Mm-hmm. But guess what? I don't have to come at you because you and I can just sit down and try to work it out. And guess what? Most of the time, whether it's a law enforcement, and let's let's think about it. We got 21 committees. Yep. It's whether a school superintendent is having issues in her, uh, uh, his school district, uh, uh, the police, uh, is Riverside, uh, Amita providing health, or they really dealing with health disparities. So it's just not police reform. Right. I mean, we got, matter of fact, I'm looking at you now. I might have forgot. We got a, a veterans committee. Yep, yep. Okay. And uh, a veterans affairs, basically. But guess who? We got a relationship with Karen. Yep. Okay. So this whole thing, when you when you really look at it through the crystal ball, we're there or we're not. Right. All right. But can we get there? And I say we, we can, but the only way we can get there is... Because you have to know me, yep. I have to know Brad, yep. I have to know Jake, then you have to know some about me. And that's why this month is what? Black History Month? Right. And most people have, have forgotten or is February is, is a, a really a hell of a month to educate people on the accomplishments of black folks. Absolutely. Of the accomplishments they have made that has really meant something, the traffic stop light. Okay, all of the things that black, you know, black uh, individuals have done. Me, 
I'm not I'm not that uh, great of a guy doing Black History Month to deal with him. You know, I'm not saying Michael Jackson wasn't it, but I'm more into the guy that uh, um, Charles Drew, you know, who invented the blood plasma and things of that nature. Oh, yeah. Though, I mean, so, but, you know, the young people are going to think about King James and all of that. Yeah. But we need to be in education about the accomplishments, the true accomplishments oh, absolutely. that blacks have made. And and so do we do that? Um, uh, and do, do most races really teach their young people? So black history started uh, with the idea of teaching our youth to enhance them, of, of making them feel whole. Right. You know, yeah. because, again, it, it was a while before I, I really got the, the gist of black history. Because the color and the white water fountain, yep. I can open up the school book yep. and there's some other kid's name in it. And it's three or four years old when it got to my school. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that those black teachers, the administrators, it didn't matter about how old the book was. Right. It was the dissemination of the information. One quick thing I wanted to mention off of what you said that I find Pro, one of the most endearing things is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like at the crux of a lot of the, the issues that you're working on is having open communication, not closed communication, not having two people that refuse to talk to each other, regardless of the different backgrounds, but saying that no matter what, and even if we're going to disagree, there is a respectful, professional, tactful way that we can still talk, where we can leave this conversation with a better understanding of the world that we both share, because common sense is based on common experience, and your experience is different than mine. And so we can still feel our, our separate ways because of those experiences, but we're never going to figure anything out if we don't talk about it. And that's why I appreciate you and what you do, because it's such, again, you're looking at each case by what exactly happened in this event, not as a whole. Every time this happens, if this, then this, like, it's very much, again, I just, uh, I really appreciated that, but uh, no, Brad, what was the, the, question that you had because this also pertains to what what theotis was mentioning earlier the next one that you had about um so a lot of you know like the self-fulfilling prophecy of like the youths and stuff and so how does racism play a role in that where a lot of people think you know people of color like oh you're just gonna end up in prison so they just fulfill that like oh yeah might as well just roll with it because that's what people think anyway how does that impact their mental health as, as a whole you know, and I, and also a follow up question that you were talking about having, you know, when you were seg- like black schools and white schools, do you feel like that's a, was a tighter knit community? <laughs> Brad, let me tell you this. Um, that's, that's a, that's, that's my, that's part two. We can have, okay. That's serious. Part two. Gotcha. From my perspective, um, integration hurt black folks. Really? As a, as a whole. Let me tell you why. Again, I mentioned everything from my education to my spiritual sense, um, um, sports, everything was black. Okay? Cab company, the YMCA, the barbershop, um, uh, I mean, everything where I grew up. So 
inter- integration come, right? So I've been I've been uh riding uh Peterson's cab company and they've been around for 50 years. And now here we got integration and the yellow cab come. So oh so now I can I can ride with a with a white guy. Where I've been for 50 years, the Peterson Cab Company have got me from point A to point B. And so when you really look at it, at me, is it good? But uh, as a whole, from my perspective, I, I think overall it was it was bad. And even the modern day things, let's see, let's look and see what Deion Sanders is doing. Jackson State. Yeah. And so you don't you don't go have to go play for the University of Florida. You can come to HBCU, which I, I graduated from an HBCU. And guess what? I got a BA. I got my master's. I, you know, I went to school to get my doctorate. I went to a little uh, Methodist school in Tennessee. So do you really have to go to the University of Illinois? So you, you understand? Right. So to, back to your earlier question, personally today, I think mental health for our young people is something that's happening to them but I don't think it has anything per se to, to deal with the racism perspective. Right. You, you, you understand? Because right, right. guess what? Uh, I experienced this with my granddaughter, who is nine years old. We was up in um, um, Lake County. Uh, what's the amusement park? Oh, yeah. Uh, great great America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had another young white girl, I mean, totally engaged. They don't see race. Yeah. If you go to the doctor's office, the dentist, kids is going to play. Yep. It's going to happen when Theotis tells granddaughter, you don't play with that girl. Or you tell your son, don't play with her. When adults get involved, kids don't necessarily see race. Right. They're only going to hear the race, the N-word, from you. And and if I say something, but most blacks ain't basically teaching their kids to, you know, to be racist. Right. But the mental health piece I, I mean, so uh, is a is a kid living in a household that transcend that individual to have some form of mental health, possibly. But anything uh, I would think, and it's just me, one person, is the lack of resources, the lack of knowledge. And guess what? Yeah, I have mental health uh, in my family. Yeah. Okay, I mean, as I speak right here, only. Less than a mile or so away from here. Oh, yeah. And we cannot get her any help because she don't think she needs help. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm, let, me, let me repeat it. This less than a mile from here, I have a family member who is mentally ill. Yeah. yeah. And if I, I've gone there, I've had the police to go. She refused. And because they just can't snatch her. Right. I mean, she she have, but she have issues. And uh, we, I have tried to use my influence um, where she could have gotten assistance. But now guess what? There's a thing, uh, the last, what, three, five plus years, HIPAA. Yep. So yep. she refused. So they yep. can't force it. She needs help. So the only thing I have to do is, uh, you know, uh, try to assist her in a manner, you know, go over, do you need some groceries, things of that nature? Right. And, and and she can drive, but guess what? If if you, the three of us ride by her house now, the light is on, her outdoors light is on, and the the woman does not come outside. 
she thinking someone around the corner is is watching her mm-hmm. or someone across the street, okay? But now that, her situation have affected uh, another family member who would be her son and her daughter. Yeah. And I attempted to try to pull them out of that environment, okay? And uh, it, it didn't impact uh, my niece, but it truly impacted my nephew. Right. Because of his mother's uh, mental health, boom. And I'm, te- I'm really trying to deal with him, and it impacted him. And guess what? And you must have knew that question I had to answer for because he's incarcerated. Oh. Uh. And so, like you said, it's just there's a lot of different factors that come into play when it comes to influencing the mental oh, health. Every, I mean, in the black, oh, man, uh, young Uncle Eric, Uncle Brad, hey, yep. we know they're crazy, but I mean, yep. but everybody know he got, I mean, I'm not right. saying say crazy. Right, right, right. Every, right. Yeah. Everybody know. But that's what people uh, used to say. They, that's what but everybody say. know yep. the unks got problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. so that was just now, do we, can we provide the resources? Right. But what if the person don't want the resources? And so yeah. we if, once we got the resources, we also saying well, we don't have enough funding. Yep. To really truly meet the need. So that's why we have to continue to, you know, just keep going and kicking that can on down the road. We got to keep fighting. We just keep fighting. And the other thing that really bothers me, and it's mostly local, but nationally, statewide, how can we deal with our lawmakers? And and I'm we just talking politics for thirty seconds. The NACP we are the only agency or organization that uh, hosts candidates forums. Yeah, I just looked at throughout the whole county. Part two again with you, Brad Jay, uh, and Jake. If you look at all of the offices that's that uh, are, are are coming up, that's going to be on the ballot on Tuesday, April fourth. That's there's elections where people need to vote for three individuals. There's only one or two, right, meaning right. that there's something going on where people don't want to run for public office. Yep. Kankakee, there's seven wards. There's, there's um, three or four, there's no opposition. County, I mean, so what is happening? So let's look at, let's just use the theme of uh, mental health. If we don't have the right lawmakers, we're not going to get those resources. Right. Because our lawmakers is being not what we actually, if nobody, no opposition, anybody could just say, I'm going to outrun and nobody. So what is the theme? What do we do? Because of lack of people uh, want to be in the political arena. Well, and one thing I wanted to touch on before you got out of here briefly uh, to talk about what you just mentioned as far as kicking the can down the road and continuing to make this forward progress. Can you, and we've already talked about this a little bit, but can you please explain, because like I said, I know you got to get out of here, but what the KCCCRT is and why it's important. Well, it is real important. And uh, I, I'm going to tell you why it's uh, important. If that uh, Ferguson happened here, We'll be ready. Right. Our purpose is to respond to any civil unrest mm-hmm. um, and to events affecting individuals, groups, or community in Kankakee. We want to reduce crime. 
We want to strengthen the relationship between law enforcement and the community, build and improve uh, policy procedures, which we're doing. We are meeting with our law enforcement to make sure that all the respective officers are trained. Our members are being trained and from a lens of what do how uh, law enforcement actually approach a situation. Uh, our goals, we wanted to uh, diffuse tension within the community uh, during the time of crisis. We want to listen and promote understanding, uh, uh, foster uh, resolution based on responses to community crisis. Um, our response team is involved and can include uh, publicizing arrests. We want to um, uh, shoot or use forces that prov uh, provoke uh, tension, violence, crime, and also sudden death or suicide. So we cover uh, quite a bit of, of uh, meeting the need of the community. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I would guess I would say our mission is to work and to understand the reality of an event diffused uh, post-incident tension through diversity, transparency, and with effective communication and community awareness. And I think we are touching from A to Z mm -hmm. to ensure that if, and that's, that's Donna Sample's uh, wording, if it happens, if it happens, I think we'll be ready, uh, Brad and Eric. And I was extremely honored, like I said, and happy to be a part of that response team. Now, if there are people out there that want to learn how they can be involved, where do they go and what do they do? Well, one, they can call, um, uh, they can email NACP3035 at AOL.com, mm -hmm. or they can call the NACP office at 815-932-0858. Again, NAACP3035 at AOL.com or call 815-932-0858. Theotis, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Is there anything else you wanted to say before you sit no, down I'm, here I'm to your just, next meeting? Hey, hey man, actually, uh, <laughs> it, it's quite important because I made a commitment to the next engagement. Yep. But we definitely need a part two, maybe yeah. a part three, because I think we can we can talk about EDI. Uh, we can talk, again, equity, diversity, inclusion, uh, uh, again, a little more on poli police reform, why the NACP is relevant, What? how can we engage our youth into community activities. You know, uh, I, mean, I hear so much about there's not enough activities for our youth. Man, yeah. that's all kind of activity. But Absolutely. guess what? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's I mean, we can talk about parenting. Yeah, I yep. mean, I can go A to Z for you. And and believe it or not, uh, the NACP and myself, I have this cat with about eight bibs on it. And yeah. I just flip it throughout the <laughs> you know, to try to uh, address uh, the need. Yeah. But, um, you know, I always use this uh, uh, as, as my uh, um, theme, I guess. What a man does for himself. Okay, and what a man does for his community live long after he's gone. Oh, you yeah. got me. Oh, yeah. And and so I want to be known as, as that person that uh, as what you can do. And if you're doing it right, it's going to be a staple in the community and it's still going to be there while I'm gone. Absolutely. You know, of course. Yeah. So that's that's the piece. Well, then we look forward to part two, three, maybe four, five, six. We'll see. Uh, and also, one of the things that we talked about before we started recording was the potential. And I got that from uh, Theodore Roosevelt. 
what a man does for himself, you know, stays with him. But what, but what a man does for his community to live long after he's gone. So, oh, yeah. Rough Riders. Love yes, Teddy sir. Roosevelt. He's a rough rider. Um, no, we look forward to, to talking with you again. We also look forward to hearing you on an upcoming episode of the King. Yeah, I got to get with Jake, man. Me and you Jake. You got to get with gonna, Jake, man. Hey. He's the guy. Hey, we, we you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to get comical for a minute. You you guys probably don't remember this. This uh, It's a movie about the guy that comes on at midnight. The uh, what was his name? The love guy, yeah. And everybody called him at at midnight. Yeah. So he had he a, a Brad. He had all of the answers for the the people who was in love. You yeah. Know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. We can be the love doctor at, oh. at midnight. You we know? could for sure do that. Yeah. I don't think my wife would agree. No, but no, no, I, no. We but we, can, but we, we had a, <laughs> neither with my wife. But, but but see, we have to change our names. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. And and but we, guess what? But we'll have the answers. For everybody. And so we part two, three, four, we can have answers to again to improve the quality of life and want people to move here to, to Kankakee County. We can talk yes. about our housing. I mean, I can go on housing, uh, our housing stock, how we gonna improve people to move to this community, all of that. We can we can talk all day, man. Well, I look forward to Absolutely, it. Thank too. you again, Theodos. Yes, right, thank you so thank much. You. Yep. Mm, sure. I definitely could have kept talking to Theotis. Oh, absolutely. I wanted to. And we had other questions that we wanted to ask him. But he's a very busy man. Yes. And we wanted to get out, get him out of here on time. Yes. So, again, make sure that you tune in when he's going he's gonna to be on an upcoming, upcoming episode of the Kankakee Podcast. So please hop over there, check it out. Um, he's just, he's got so much information. I'd love to talk to him again and kind of dive into some of this stuff. How, how did you feel? You feel better? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My and part two, part three, like we talked about, we gotta have a couple parts. I think do the the love doctor thing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't think I don't know how much I would have to add, but I just know that I know that my wife hates it that I'm just right so gosh darn much. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you I know? wish I could say that, but my wife knows that I'm not right. Yeah, <laughs> she's just my like, dude. Just... She's just like, dude, you're dumb. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very humbling. You know, people ask, you know, sometimes, how do you stay humble, Eric? And I say, well, I'm married, yep. and that's uh, a real big help. You know? Yeah. What I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you want to get knocked down a couple of pegs? Yep. Get married. <laughs> um. So it was really cool to have the Otis on here to talk about this again. It's Black History Month, so we wanted to uh, to tap into that a little bit uh, to talk about again the the impact and relationship between racism and mental health and really as we were talking to theotis i was like man this is like this is a lot deeper than yeah <laughs> than like just a one conversation yeah. thing for sure in the different routes that he started going off on so i really hope that we can have another conversation about this soon but um before we wrap up uh we also have another new uh segment being that we are now releasing episodes on monday i wanted to have a little bit of a motivational monday quote uh segment for our show and talk about one of the one of uh, some of the quotes that i and you have found that we just really enjoy because yeah. there are so many great quotes out there from so many people that have done so many things. And I really think it warrants having a discussion on yeah. for some of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I brought this up to you kind of ad hoc out of nowhere. And you're yeah. like, yeah, dude, I got one. I got one. Babe Ruth, baby. What? What one are you thinking? <laughs> okay, well, if anyone has ever seen the uh, movie Cinderella Story um, with uh, Hilary Duff yes. and Chad Michael Murray, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's not from that. I knew it before this movie came out. I thought you were going to say Sandlot. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I wish. That's a, 
<laughs> no, Shoot, yeah. I should have. Anyway, Cinderella story. Let's, uh, let's get it. <laughs> so the I part love where Cinderella story, the, right? The part where there's the, the earthquake and the guitar falls, and there's the Babe Ruth quote. Um, it's never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. I'm pretty sure I've seen that also, like in school growing up. Yeah, I didn't know that was Babe Ruth though. That was Babe Ruth, and then there's the the Michael Jordan one. You're you're gonna miss 100 percent of the shots that you don't take. Is that Jordan or Gretzky? Is it Gretzky? I thought it was great. Oh, it's one of wrong. either way. It's a great quote. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, like the cheesy, like cliche sports quotes. I kind of go to. Not really they, cheesy. They but. sound cheesy because you hear them so many times, but you have to wonder where they came Wayne, from. Wayne Gretzky. It was. Thank you. Was it Gretzky? <laughs> yeah. Love you, Jake. That's why I'm glad you're here, buddy. <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah, I thought it was Wayne Gretzky because yeah. I did a. I did a report when I was a little kid on Bobby Hall, and Bobby Hall was an amazing uh, hockey player who was, I think, I believe one of Wayne Gretzky's... Um, he actually just recently just passed, I mentors. believe. For real? I think so. I did not know that. Just recently, yeah. Well, and that's where I heard Wayne Gretzky's quote, like, attributed the quote to him from some research that I did for that paper. Um, but no, one of my favorite quotes, uh, it's got a little bit of a story to it, but one of my favorite quotes is, burn... The ships. Uh, so burn the ships. I actually have a flag in my basement, and maybe uh, if it ever gets <laughs> finished, uh, I can show everybody Dude, my you've flag. Been, you've been from talking the about your first episode, <laughs> June of last year. Can that just be a bit? Yeah, I think so. On our on our show, <laughs> or just every episode. Like next episode, will be in my basement for the next for the studio, and like it just we never get there. <laughs> We're just always going to be. At Lamore Media, which I'm fine with. Yeah, yeah. I'm also fine with. It's a very frustrating part of my life, okay? So, anyway, the flag that's in my basement, which does exist, uh, it says, burn the ships. And I bought it because of this story. So, in 1519, um, there was a Spanish conquest of Mexico, and it was led by Commander Hernan Cortez. Now, Hernan Cortez did some terrible stuff, okay? And I'm not condoning any of the terrible things that he'd done. I'm just talking about this quote in particular. Uh, and the what was so important about uh, the Spanish conquest and why it was there was Hernan Cortez wanted to take, it was a Mayan treasure. Now, there was this Mayan treasure that had not been taken in over 700 years, right? Plenty of people tried. Plenty of people set out on these expeditions to go out there and take the treasure that's never been taken, and everybody failed. And so Cortez said that he was going to do it. He took like 11 ships. He had, you know, tons of soldiers. He had horses, all that other kind of stuff. And they finally land in Mexico. And when they landed in Mexico, they all gather around, I'm sure, to hear what they were hoping was going to be Hernan Cortez's Denzel Washington type of speech. A rousing speech to get everybody going and just super motivated, like a Braveheart type of speech, right? And all Cortez said to them was, Burn the ships. And I have to imagine that, like, all the soldiers were kind of looking around, like, what the hell did he just say? <laughs> like, what, dude? Like, I'm not, why, what was that? And when they asked him why, Cortez said, because once we take the treasure, we're going to take their ships home. And wouldn't you know it? They took the treasure, like they took a treasure that hadn't been taken in 700 years because they realized that they didn't have a plan B. They couldn't retreat back to the boats because there were none. They had to fight with every inch 
with every single fiber of their being to take this treasure if they wanted to survive. And so I thought it was such a good quote for what it's supposed to mean to me, at least, which is you have to understand that sometimes that plan B, sometimes that plan B is holding you back. It's not propelling you forward. So you cut that plan B out, you burn those ships, and lo and behold, you can take that treasure, you can do that thing that nobody else could do because you're not giving yourself a fallback plan. You're telling yourself, no, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it. And this is how I'm going to do it. So burn the ships. Burn um, the ships. So thank you again for listening to this episode of the I'm Fine podcast. I hope you found something from it. I hope you can burn your ships. <laughs> I hope you can be ready for the next episode, which will for sure be <laughs> in my basement. Um, yeah. <laughs> you got anything else to say, Brad? No, man. I thought it was a good episode. It's a great episode, Absolutely, man. Absolutely, as forward. always. So uh, we hope you have a great week. We hope you tune in for our next episode, and we will talk to you very soon.